everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Teen Titan Wasteland. Hope you've been enjoying the winter so far. I'm having a fine one. You know what a great way to enjoy the winter is? Do yourself a favor, go check out a little movie called The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. It is terrific. It's a basketball movie that stars one Dr. Julius Irving. Maybe you've heard of him. Dr. J. I think it's an honorific title, but he's certainly earned it. Are you great at quiet noises? A real pin drop whiz? If so, you might enjoy this synopsis. Ooh, it's creepy to whisper into a microphone. I don't think I'll do that anymore. Teen Titans number 24, November 1969. Written by Bullet Bob Haney. Drotted by Gil Kane. With inks by Nick Carty. Teen Titan Roll Call. Wonder Girl. Kid Flash. Robin. Speedy. Skis of Death. After their recent globe-trotting and dimension-hopping adventures, the Titans decide to adopt their civilian identities and take a well-earned vacation. Donning their finest patterned sweaters, the teen chums head to Medicine Mountain, a newly opened resort owned by a dreamy young Native American ski mogul named Eddie Talbot. We can tell Eddie is a Native American because he calls money wampum, and the teen Titans pale faces. Subtle, Haney. Real subtle. Before hitting the slopes, the holidaying heroes stop in at the Old Sourdough, a local watering hole which is named after its proprietor, Old Sourdough Anson Larson. Larson dresses like a Scottish golfer and talks like an old-timey prospector. When an incognito wonder girl uses her super strength to save some of the bar patrons from a falling wagon wheel chandelier, Larson is amazed and spouts off an impressive bit of authentic frontier gibberish. Fortunately, a quick-thinking Robin protects her secret identity by explaining that she's been studying the oriental philosophy of zen. Nice one, Robin. The display of superpowers having been explained to everybody's satisfaction, the young heroes decide to head towards the ski lift. They are intercepted by a distraught Eddie Talbot. The upset young entrepreneur explains to the teens that the ski school class he was leading got caught in a sudden snow squall, and when it cleared, all of the students had vanished. Naturally, Eddie skied down the mountain as fast as he could to seek the help of the four perfectly normal teenagers he barely knows. Smart move, Eddie. The perfectly normal teenagers are on the case. And one of them's been studying her zen. With the aid of the resort's helicopter, the undercover heroes are able to find some tracks the students left. But unfortunately, they lead to a solid cliff face. And it's a for real solid cliff this time. Kid Flash checked and everything. Eddie's freaked out because his tribe's medicine man, Charlie By-and-By, had tried to warn him that this land was haunted. Suddenly, the investigation is interrupted by a whole bunch of geysers going off in the resort village. As they fly down to check out what's happening, one of the spouts destroys the helicopter's motor and knocks Eddie unconscious. The gang changes into their superhero duds, and Kid Flash is able to use his super speed to create enough of an updraft to prevent the helicopter from crashing. Upon regaining consciousness, Eddie finds that Dick, Wally, Donna, and Roy are gone, and Robin, Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, and Speedy have arrived. That doesn't strike him as suspicious, because why would it? Eddie explains to the apparently newly arrived Titans that the geysers shouldn't have been erupting because of the vent holes that were drilled during the resort's construction. An examination of the vent holes reveals that they have recently been plugged by a landslide. Further investigation leads to the discovery of a rattle nearby that Eddie recognizes as belonging to the medicine man Charlie By-and-By. Kid Flash follows some snowshoe tracks and finds Charlie, an unfortunate stereotype of a character who talks like one of the Go-Go Gophers from the Underdog cartoon. In addition to spouting dialogue that, as Charlie might say, make me heap big uncomfortable, the shaman is using an electronic vibrator, no, not that kind of electronic vibrator, to break up the ice on a lake which will somehow flood the town. 
Fortunately, Kid Flash is there to run around really fast, which I guess melts the ice and thereby prevents the flooding? Okay. Unfortunately, as soon as he's finished sciencing the flood away, the young speedster is bopped on the noggin and knocked out. Bummer. Back on the slopes, the other Titans and Eddie find the missing students tied up in a cave that no one had looked in, because it was clearly labeled Dangerous Bear Cave. Robin knew the sign was a fake, because bears would never camp on the north side of a mountain. You know what, Robin? Also, bears can't write. That's another clue. They send the rescued students down the hill on a tractor, and are about to follow when someone starts shooting at them, triggering an avalanche. Fortunately, Wonder Girl is there and uses her super strength, or possibly her philosophical outlook, to pick up some giant logs and build a wall that shields the young crime fighters from the crushing wave of snow. With that danger averted, the Titans are free to seek vengeance on their assailants, punching the living shit out of the avalanche-causing assholes, many of whom are wearing totally sweet ski masks. When the thugs flee, the Titans clandestinely follow the sweet ski mask scumbags back to their boss, old sourdough himself, Anson Larson. After ascertaining that Anson had kidnapped both Kid Flash and Eddie, the Titans settle in to do what they do best. Eavesdrop. They soon learn that Anson is the chief creditor for the resort, and that if Medicine Mountain goes bankrupt, then the prospector-sounding publican will be the sole owner and free to sell the land to the government for a missile site. That's news to Charlie Byenby, who was under the impression that if he helped scare off the skiers, then he would get to use the mountain, which he considers to be sacred land. At this point, the Titans are discovered, and held at gunpoint, but... Good news! Kid Flash wakes up! vibrates out of his bonds, and disarms the thugs. The Titans do what they do second best, and punch the shit out of the thugs again. Hooray! Unfortunately, old Sourdough still has a trick up his sleeve. He uses Eddie as a hostage, and has his goons use chloroform on the Titans. Then he loads the unconscious quartet onto a bobsled, which he pushes down a giant ski jump. What an entirely foolproof way to kill them. Way more efficient than using one of those many guns your men had pointed at their heads. Good thinking, Anson. In an entirely unpredictable turn of events, the Titans wake up and free themselves from the bobsled death trap. They return to the resort village and, with Eddie's help, once again punch the shit out of Anson and his goons. The resort is saved and Eddie promises to allow Charlie to use the land once a season for his sacred tribal dances, which I guess is all he wanted all along. Hooray! The Titans ski off to enjoy the rest of their vacation without ever having explained to Eddie where their good pals Dick, Wally, Donna, and Roy went. I guess Eddie probably figures they died in that helicopter crash. Oh well. Okay, and joining us once again after a week off, uh, he was off in Atlantis babysitting Aqua Baby last week, welcoming once again my good for some things brother, Corey. Corey, good to see you. Thanks, I think. Hey, you take a week off, you get demoted. Ah, well, you'll be pleased to know all is well in Atlantis. Good, glad to hear it. This was, uh... This was a weird comic book. It was. Yeah, just right off the bat, cover is fucking awesome. The cover sports the most badass use of sweater technology I think I've ever seen in my life. It really is. It's awesome. So the Titans are all unconscious and being menaced by a guy wearing a ski mask. But the ski mask, it's a fully knit ski mask that has a matching sweater and scarf. And the ski mask has angry eyebrows knitted into it. And it's just really cool looking. I I really want to... It's like if a supervillain knit his costume. Yeah, or like if ninjas wore um, sweater suits. Sort of. I feel like a ninja wouldn't go with like the 
the bright red, the and bright the red like scarf. yeah, and the yellow scarf and like the the triangle patterns on it or the diamond patterns. It's a weird thing because it's like a it's, it's definitely it, a ski outfit and it's subtle. It's not like a bad Christmas sweater. No, it's a great it's outfit. A, yeah, it's and but it's also creepy, man. That face is very it's menacing. Well, Very it's menacing. got it's got angry eyebrows sewn into it, and also the mouth is like kind of like Loki style stitched shut. It looks like it's it's pretty great. So, what did you think of the issue overall? I thought it, it was a good adventure story. You know, some bad stuff happened. They they got to the bottom of it as usual. I was a little bit uncomfortable with the all the Native American portrayals. Yeah, yeah, me too. The dialogue, especially Eddie Talbo, makes it out of it. Better than Charlie by and by does. Mm-hmm. Eddie's young and hip, and I think is having some fun with his ancestry. Mm-hmm. He continually calls the uh, Teen Titans pale faces, which mm-hmm. I was actually fine with. Charlie by and by, he talks like one of the Go Go Gophers from the cartoon. He keeps calling things heap big. Yeah, things. Like a, it's like the butt of bad jokes. It, you know? It's yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Even the fun interplay that the Titans have with Eddie Talbo. Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. When Robin specifically takes him to task, they're looking for the missing skiers. the instincts thing. They're looking for the missing skiers, and Eddie's like, ah, they just, like, disappeared. And Robin's like, you're losing your Indian instincts, Mm -hmm. Eddie. It's like, dude, Robin, you don't get to tell Eddie that he's being a bad Indian. And also... Robin's solution is, what we need to do is take this helicopter off and blow the snow away to reveal the tracks. How would Eddie's, quote, Indian instincts, unquote, tell him to do that? And, and Even the, if that was a thing. The, and the thing is, so, like, what Robin's playing with there is this trope, like, like all, all Indians can track shit. Yeah. Right. But also, apparently, they can all fly choppers. Because yeah, they after, are, and they all have helicopters. He's like, he's like, you should have thought to track this. That's Indian what I'm guy. saying. Um, go fly the helicopter so that we can now see the tracks. Yeah, and that that is actually followed up by uh, was kind of one of the worst examples of this, which it's preceded by Kid Flash quoting Charlie Chan, which oh, is also yeah. not great. They find that the tracks lead right into the cliff face, and Kid Flash says, "Yeah, like Charlie Chan used to say, this case has reached Stone Wall." Wonder Girl responds, or I'm sorry, they're in their civilian gear. So Wonder Girl, their Donna responds by saying, ugh. And then Eddie goes, say, I didn't know you spoke Indian, Donna. Uh, Yeah, I read that and I just had that groan. Yeah. And it's like the writers, you could see them like they were having fun with it. And it's just a sign of by writers, you mean. Bob Haney. Bob Haney. <laughs> it's yeah. one writer. Yeah. Damn it, Haney. Yeah. And that, that was that was kind of rough. That, and it really did mar what was otherwise a, a fairly fun issue. One of the weird characters in it that I really did like was old sourdough Anson Larson. <laughs> yeah. So I have a theory as to the... Disp- I found there to be a disparity between his appearance and his demeanor and backstory and dialogue. Did you see any of that? What I was wondering was, so Gaul, as I understand it, does have some ties culturally to Scotland, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, Because he was dressed, like, with some crazy-ass golf shit. He was dressed, like, total, like, stereotypical Scotsman. He was dressed kind of like uh, Glumgold from DuckTales, uh, Scrooge McDuck's <laughs> nemesis. He's got a Tam on. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he looks like a crazy golfer, and he's got a big red beard. Mm-hmm. But his dialogue is all old prospector dialogue. 
and his whole character is that he's an old prospector and he owns a place, they call him Old Sourdough, and he owns a place that has wagon wheels hanging from the ceiling. My suspicion is there was a miscue between Haney and Gilkane on the art, and Gilkane read the dialogue that the guy had and says, What the fuck is this? Is Haney trying to do a Scottish accent? Is that how he writes Scottish? Ah, <laughs> eh, fuck it, probably. I'm making him Scottish. Okay. And he drew him looking super Scottish, but like his dialogue is like straight out of an old Western prospector talk. Yeah, you're right. I I couldn't figure that out, and I think the miscue is the best explanation. Yeah, and it's it's the thing that makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Either that or Gil Kane just has it in for the Scots. But how would that follow? Well, he's not a likable character. Well, he's, he, you're right, he's not a likable character. It's like, this guy's a jerk, I'm gonna make him Scottish. Okay, maybe that was it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was weird. That was weird. One thing I did really like is, Donna gets a little bit fleshed out here. She She's a little, she's still kind of boy crazy. Uh, there's a great, <laughs> I know right after she meets Eddie Talbo, as he's leaving, she thinks to herself, um... He can wax my slats anytime, which sounds so filthy. Sounds really, I really I, unwholesome. Yeah, it was pretty great. Yeah, this is before snowboarding, so I'm pretty sure she's talking about. I don't like snowboarding. I'm against it. Have you tried? No, I don't like the idea behind it. I don't like the con. Like, okay, <laughs> like it's one piece versus two pieces. Here's what I don't like about snowboarding. Uh huh. And maybe I'm being unfair here. And I probably am. I've known a lot of people who are into skiboarding who are fine. Skiboarding? Skiboarding. That's what it is. That's what it is. Okay. That's not my problem with it. But come on, it's skiboarding. Um, here's what I don't like about snowboarding. I feel like it is fundamentally a rich person's sport. Like skiing. Well. Yeah, it's expensive to do. You have to get lift tickets. You have all this shit. Sure. But it's trying to co-opt the street and extremeness level of skateboarding. And that's kind of the persona behind it. So it's like... You can say the same thing about skateboarding, though, that had its roots in surfing. Surfing, though, isn't fundamentally a rich person's sport. That's not its origins. That's not how it started. I just... You know, how can, how can you points. say that about sk- skateboarding, then? Well, because it just it's like one of those things that was built on another thing. And then people say, oh, I don't like this thing because it's built on the other thing. I'm not saying I don't like it because it's built on another thing. I'm saying it, I don't like it because it's rich people acting in your face and extreme and co-opting street culture. It's a class issue that I have with it. I see. Whereas where skiing is cool because I'm not saying it's cool, but I'm saying it is what it is. It's rich people being rich people. Mm. All right. No more snowboards. That settles it. Thank you. No problem. Yeah. Snowboarding is fun. Okay. I, I believe that it is. I've been skiing. I think it's kind of fun. But there, there's, I don't know, there's this classist thing that it, it for some reason with with snowboarding, it bothers me. Mm. But, you know, I you guys listening, you probably like snowboarding. The kids love the snowboards these days. It's fine. Enjoy it. Have fun. Streets on the mountain. Yes, streets on the mountain. That doesn't make any fucking sense, Corey. I'm on a roll. Yeah, you are. What were we talking about before I started? Your snowboard, your anti Before that, drive yeah. To, uh, uh, what, the waxing of slats? Oh, Wa- yeah. Wonder Girls, specifically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't talking about waxing Wonder Girls slats. But I did like that. And there's also kind of more developing, I think, a love triangle type thing between her and Kid Flash and Speedy. 
Because there's a scene where she's riding up on the ski lift with Kid Flash, Mm -hmm. and Speedy is in the helicopter, and he doesn't really do that much this issue. But one of the things that he does do is, while they're riding up in the helicopter and things are developing, he's like, wonder what Wally and Donna are up to. Mm -hmm. And what they're up to is uh, Wally's hitting on Donna. Mm -hmm. And she's like, no, you, we're busy right now. But... I kind of like that. I, I think it shows a little bit of character development and I think is something that we should watch going forward. I agree. Um, so that, that was, that was kind of nice. I think my favorite thing that happened in the issue is when Robin figures out where the kidnappers have hidden the kidnapped ski school mm-hmm. is inside a giant bear cave. And I love that it is a cave that is marked dangerous bear cave. And Robin figures out that no bear would hide on the north face of a mountain where it's too cold. Mm -hmm. Here's another thing, Robin. Bears can't fucking write. Bears don't make signs that say dangerous bear cave. That should have been your first fucking clue, buddy. And he's so pompous in his delivery of the... I think he says, hey, dummies. No, he says, he says, any dummy knows. Yeah. A bear doesn't nest on the north side of mountain or whatever. Yeah, which is not true. Lots of dummies yeah. don't know that. Yeah. I consider myself most of the time not a dummy, and I didn't know that. Well, part of why you didn't know it is because you are not the mm, distinguished scientist that Bob Haney is. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Touche. At the end of the issue, as the Titans are about to leave, I believe it is Kid Flash asks the medicine man, Charlie by and by how he had created a snowstorm out of nowhere to serve as cover for the kidnappings. And Charlie tells him, I'm not going to use his dialogue, but he's like, no, that's I I can't tell you my secrets. Uh, These are traditional Indian folklore is how I did it basically. But then after they leave, he starts giggling, and you see that he's holding a book that says that the cover of which reads How to Make Snow with Silver Dioxide by B. Haney. I like that. I like Bob Haney giving himself a little shout out and implying that he knows how to make snow. Mm -hmm. Which I don't think he does. Probably not. I don't think Haney, from what we have read of his work, is necessarily a strong scientist. No. But you know what he is good at? coming up with unnecessarily complicated schemes to motivate his villains. Yep. Yeah, that prospector really put a lot of work into this. He put a lot of work into with the owning a mountain that he could have... Yeah, there's... Okay, his plan was he was the chief creditor to the mountain, so Eddie had borrowed money from Anson to buy the ski resort. Mm-hmm. And then... Anson figured, and if now, if the ski resort loses money, then I'll own the ski resort, Mm -hmm. and then I can sell it to the government. Mm -hmm. For a missile site. For for a missile site. Because the government wants it. Yeah, it's not just he wants the mountain. Yeah, that's another step that they didn't need to include. Mm -hmm. It could have just been like, then I'll have the mountain. Oh, I guess he wants the mountain. Also, if he wants the mountain, why did he loan Eddie the money to buy the mountain instead of just buying the fucking mountain? Nobody has a good answer for that. Also, you have the Teen Titans knocked unconscious. <laughs> you have your men pointing guns at all of them. Oh, you knock them out with chloroform. Toboggan. And you're like, we're going to kill these Teen Titans. How should we do it? Put them in a toboggan and send them off a ski jump. Obviously. It's so obvious because a, that'll look like an accident. It's not going to look like an accident. And it's probably not going to kill Wonder Girl at least. Oh, that is that what's going on on the cover? Yeah. Okay. I was yeah, trying to see, figure out the what, the, what, the, what the... Yep. 
it all makes sense now. The wreck of the thing that they're all sprawled around, I was like, what is Is that a canoe? <laughs> why, why would they have a canoe on a mountain? They probably wouldn't. Fair enough. So maybe that's why they did the splash pa- the cover page first. I don't know what you're saying, Corey. Maybe what's why they put the cover page first. Oh, man, I'm getting a case of the Haney's. So the reason that he had the unnecessarily complicated... Th- Never mind. That's flawed logic. I was going to say because the cover page has this thing with the ski jump in the background and the Titans all passed, passed out around it. Like, if they had drawn the cover page first, then he's like, oh, I have to figure out some way to incorporate a giant ski jump into the Titans getting knocked out. Okay, that's possible. I think you're getting things a little bit... I, I think I've part read of where a lot of these comic books, Hub, and I'm, I'm starting to... That logic is just... I think happening. part of where your confusion is coming from is Bob Haney writing himself into the comic as a fictional scientist maybe it's blending your idea of where reality ends and the comic book begins and whether the comic book itself exists in the fiction of the comic book Whoa. is that what's happening Corey? am i blowing your mind now or I, I got no idea i think it's maybe too late for me to blow your mind it sounds like maybe during your time in atlantis you blew your mind out maybe so <laughs> yeah what's a jackrabbit's tail like I think it's his butt. Just like the the tail, like a puffy tail of a... I think it's its Jack butt. Rabbit. I think it's like, because the tail light's like red. Like <laughs> butthole. Oh, God. Probably. Jackrabbit's tail light is his butthole. Okay. That was an expletive of sorts used by the... the by Anson? By old sourdough? Yeah, old sourdough himself. Yeah. <laughs> Said something to the effect of, Oh, oh but yeah, Jackrabbit's tail light. Um, he but, had a lot know. of... Yeah, he was saying he'll be a rabbit's butthole weird well he's a weird guy yeah speaking of weird stuff that happens so the titan's helicopter crashes because a geyser hits it yeah and then eddie's knocked unconscious when he regains consciousness his five teenage friends are gone and the teen titans are there Mm -hmm. and that is not the slightest bit suspicious to anyone the titans are horrible at being incognito yeah dick's explanation of why Wonder Girl has super strength. Oh, the secrets of the Orient or something? She's been studying Zen philosophy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she can fly and throw wagon wheels around. Yeah. It's powerful shit, man. Yeah, and the old uh, Anson is just like, oh, I never tried that. <laughs> I never thought of that. You mean this is reality? So, uh, other questions about some of the ski-related dialogue. But uh, at the beginning, there was a, a shoes. And uh, sits marks were words that are referenced. Yeah, I'm just assuming those are ski words. words. They seem like ski words. They make a reference to Jean-Paul Kelly earlier. So I think these are like 60s ski stuff that was going on. Did you have to look that up or did you just... Jean-Paul Kelly? I I knew that one. Oh, that's disconcerting, man. Yeah, sometimes I know things. That that one is really out there. Were you a fan of ski competition? in the 60s? Not particular. Well, I wasn't a fan of anything in the 60s. That didn't exist yet. No, um, I didn't mean in the 60s. I meant, you know, I, I'm not particularly a fan of, of 60s skiing. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a fan in general of, of winter sports. I think curling's fun to watch. That's the one where they th- slide the thing across the ice. Yeah. It's it's like a big like with shuffleboard sweepers. game, but with sweepers, and ah. it's on a big ice pond. Shuffleboard's fun. Yeah, shuffleboard's fun. Mm. I like it. What the fuck was going on with Kid Flash when he was the the ice flow breaking up? That was another plot that plan that didn't make any sense to me. There's a frozen lake that is over the resort. Why was Charlie 
breaking it. To cause a flood to scare the people away? Well, I mean, it would scare them away in that I think it would kill all of them. If it did cause a flood, that's not how. But it it wouldn't do anything. That's it would just be works. like there's a lake up here. Uh, if the ice on top of the lake is in is broken into chunks, then everybody will die. It, it didn't make any sense. And then Kid Flash's rectifying the situation by melting the chunks of ice also didn't make any sense. Like that wouldn't have done anything. If it's gonna flood, then it's gonna flood. They made it sound like that. Yeah, by breaking the icy lake up that that it would just naturally slide down the hill and chunks of ice would just yeah and just overtake the town yeah which is here's something that's a little bit inconsistent it seems like charlie was trying to kill a lot of people Mm -hmm. to scare them off the mountain and there are no repercussions for him from this no he found out that anson was about to double cross him but he doesn't really help the titans at any point he never helps fight anson nope he just is okay yeah. They decided to give him one day a season. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, that's all I really wanted. I thought he wanted the whole mountain. For his people. Yeah. Mm. It didn't seem like he was, I mean, Eddie was one of his people, and he never told Eddie about it. And Eddie didn't do anything in those ceremonies before. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yeah, the dots aren't all connecting very well. No, they, they do not. Well, so, uh, what was your favorite piece of slang? Boy, there was a lot of weird dialogue in here to There really was to choose from. We've already covered this, but on page three when Wonder Girl does make the wax my slats uh comment mm-hmm. that That's on page one. I I'm sorry, page one. That that leapt out at me. There was a, a, a piece of dialogue from what's the, the guy's name who runs the resort? Char- not Anson. An- no, the uh, kid. Oh, uh Eddie. Eddie. Eddie Talbo. Yeah. And it and it was it was a lead up to that to that weird bit of you know uncomfortable dialogue but uh and but they're making puns there's like a a lot of puns going on and he says uh robin's flipped his wigwam that's a hairy scene yeah because there's going to be the bear Mm -hmm. yeah and and then you know wig and hairy yeah bear that all sort of i was like oh yeah no i had i had that one down that's a nice play on things Mm -hmm. and and then there's one panel that's like one of the narrative elements where they're talking about how quickly something happened. I can't remember what it is. It's on page six. But um, they use the phrasing, hemi, semi, demi, second, later. Yeah. Well, that was because it was Kid Flash. He's really fast, is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. But hemi, I don't know what that means. That means half. Than... Does it? Yeah. They all mean half. Yeah. No. All those, you know, stood out to me. Yeah. That was fun. Dangerous Bear Cave. That's not really dialogue, but... No, that was a nice sign, though. I did write that down. I think my favorite was uh, Anson's dialogue. Again, right after Wonder Girl throws catches the wagon wheel. He launches into, Glorby, that little gal just whooped that big wheel away like it weren't more than a pine cone's whiskers. Tain't possible. Man, when you read it like that, it doesn't sound Scottish at all. No, it doesn't sound Scottish. <laughs> There's no way that that's Scottish. Can you read like, that with a Scottish accent? Glory be, that little girl just whooped that big wheel away like it weren't no more than a pine cone's whispers. Taint possible. That's pretty Which good, Way man. better prospect. Well, I'll be a jackrabbit's tail light. <laughs> I never heard of that newfangled stuff. Never thought I'd see a miracle in my emporium. It's more natural with the prospector twang, for sure. Well, and then his nickname's Old Sourdough, and he's got a place that has wagon wheels. Yeah, yeah. no, no, you're singing to the choir, friend. Yeah. Much obliged, young timers. You'd be welcome anytime. Yeah. I think it's that he says ye 
maybe then uh, that was just where Gil Kane was hanging his hat and it's like, oh, he says ye, Scottish. Mm. Well, there is a point in this comic book at which uh, Robin says, ye gods! <laughs> My grandpa used to say that. Really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Hard to believe that's a thing people say. Yeah. Yeah, so that that was my favorite dialogue was uh, Anson's. I did also have, he's flipped his wigwam. That was okay. What was your favorite panel? You know, Robin, for me, doesn't usually make it into these, just on account of him kind of being a jerk. But on page 19, there's one, and it's part of the, the series of, like, oh, no. he's punching fools like crazy. And they're flying all over the place. And it's it's part of this, like, multi-small panel action series where the Titans are kicking butt. But it's mm-hmm. a super dynamic panel. There's a bunch of great sound effects. And, like, the bad guys are flying around all willy-nilly. And the perspective's crazy. And, uh... Yeah, no, that that is a fun one. It, that one actually reminds me more of the Batman TV show than than they usually do. Yeah. yeah like, and there's, totally. there's, like, three sound effects on that panel, too. It's mm-hmm. walk, palp. And cram! <laughs> yeah, yeah, and cram that guy. Good <laughs> Man, he crammed that guy something fierce. So bad. So that was that was pretty good. I one of my favorite also features uh, Robin. It's on the next page. It's after Kid Flash has saved them from the bobsled death trap. He runs around really fast and makes a pile of snow for them to land in. But there's a picture of Robin just like looking relieved and stressed out after what just happened, just being like. Phew. Yeah. Like holding his hand on his head and he's like got flop sweats. He's saying, Sheesh, the closest call yet, and he makes a funny. Cause uh kids kid flashes joking around. Yeah. I really like that one. Uh, yeah. I thought that was fun. Did you have another panel or was that it for that was just your favorite one? I, I had the sort of the preceding one up to that in on I I guess page eighteen, where it's at the bottom and it's yeah, this one. Where it's uh, Speedy and Robin and Wonder Girl are attacking and they're like lurching super forward into the camera. What appeals to me about it is Wonder Girl looks so fucking pissed off. Like, I'm scared for the bad guys. Yeah. This, like They they all look pretty bad. That that panel particularly, it looks almost like, like some Jack Kirby style art. Yeah, it it's, does. It's like yeah. just really dynamic and like the lines around the faces and even the face shapes look like mm-hmm. they're Kirby style. It's... It's yeah. kind of fun. That Titan's about to kick butt. Okay, so who is your favorite Titan this issue? Well, I gotta go with Kid Flash. Like, he made it funny after doing some badass shit. He did a lot of badass shit. And in this he did issue a lot of badass shit. All of which, I think, the majority of which involved running around in circles really fast, which is one thing that he's. He's very he's, good at running around at... in circles. He melted the ice flow that way and, yep. in a completely nonsensical way, saved the town. He created an updraft to keep the helicopter from crashing worse than it did. Yep. He made the snow drift to, uh, yeah. And he also, he he did a lot in this issue. Mm -hmm. Hit on Wonder Girl. He was up there. Yeah, he did hit on Wonder Girl, too. That's, but he had a busy day. Oh, Wally. He vibrated through a wall in a hemi-demi-semi-second. Found the the kids, the skiers. No, he didn't. He didn't find the ski class. Robin found the ski class. He vibrated through a wall. That was cool. He did vibrate through a wall. You're right. And he was the one who freed the Titans when they got captured. That was it. It it was also weird, though. Like, those thugs had it a lot worse than thugs normally do. They got beat up by the Teen Titans, like, three times in a row in, like, pretty rapid succession. Yeah. It's like, beat up the thugs, fall them back to their place, get captured, escape, beat up the thugs, get captured, escape, Mm -hmm. beat up the thugs. Yeah. It's a tough day to be a thug. Um, After the second time, though, as a thug, aren't you just like, dude, fuck this shit? 
Yeah, maybe. It's not worth the free ski passes or no, what? What you do is, man, after you got those Teen Titans chloroformed, you fucking shoot them. Or, or if you want to kill them, shoot them. Don't put them in a toboggan on a. On yeah, don't a just don't just put slide. them in a toboggan. After you can already see that Kid Flash can escape from any trap. Yeah. Yeah. They very frustrating. They didn't know that Robin's mind was too sharp to stay asleep for long. Yeah, that is something that Bob Haney states. He he. Uh, Robin is the one who gains consciousness first, and it's because Bob Haney goes on a little, gives a little speech about how Robin's mind is too sharp to ever be contained by unconsciousness. For too long. Yeah, which is fun. I do like how Robin wakes Wally up, though. He just, like, grabs handfuls of stone and starts, like, slapping it in his friend's yeah. face. And he's like, ah, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? What's happening? That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I hope I never have to wake Kid Flash up. Uh, Say... The day before Kid Flash's sister's wedding. <laughs> I am. I knew you were going to go there. I woke up Corey one time. We had both been drinking the night before. Our sister was getting married that day. I woke him up in the morning so we could go to the wedding, and he punched me in the face. <laughs> it sounds so bad when you say it like that. It was so bad. <laughs> I just... I was having a, uh, a dream, and there was some bad stuff happening, and I thought somebody was trying to hold a pillow over my face. Yeah, I wasn't. I was gently shaking you awake and saying, wake up, Corey, and, and you punched me in the I face. I was just trying to bat the pillow away. That's <laughs> there was no pillow! I, well, I know that now, and I'm sorry. Okay. And you got me back pretty good with the whole drive the car like a crazy person on the windy country road because yeah. your brother has a horrible hangover <laughs> and doesn't want to throw up in his grandparents' car. I did throw up a lot to try to make Corey puke. That was fun. That was touch and go, too. That was a good time. Oof. Yeah. Uh, my favorite Titan was Wonder Girl. Uh, she did a lot in this issue, too. Uh, she saves the shinglingers from the wagon wheel that is about to fall on them. Using her Zen, using her Zen philosophy. Yeah. She wants Eddie Talbo to wax her slats. Um, <laughs> when the Titans are about to get crushed by an avalanche, she grabs a bunch of trees and builds a retaining wall really fast to keep the avalanche from crushing them, which was great. Yeah, they avoided the final frosty freakout that way. They did indeed, as Haney said, avoid the final frosty freakout. So, what do you think Aqualad was up to? You know, there are so many things happening during this time period, Mm -hmm. several of which I recently read about, and all of which I had great difficulty tying to things that Aqualad might be doing. Okay. Or might be up to. Well, just what do you think he was doing? You know, I think he was bored. Honestly, yeah. yeah. He was, yeah, bored, looking for, for something to do, and so he was starting to get into chemistry a little bit. Okay. And uh, plastics, you know. He was getting into plastics? Yeah. Like in The Graduate? Yeah, plastics were mm-hmm. big, right? Plastics very popular. Plastics very popular. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, previously I had had him all the way on the on the east coast of the U.S. for, for Woodstock, and sure. I, I don't know where Atlantis lines up. Everywhere. Uh, geographically. But. <laughs> so what I'm thinking is he, he might have been missing his his friends who had helped him out when he was in San Francisco, you know, with the whole wet and wild yeah. debacle who, you know, he later went and visited when mm-hmm. the whole Stonewall mm-hmm. thing happened. But he went back to San Francisco, you know, as it was, it was, he was coming to shore, he, uh, yeah, there's no way to make this make sense. You know, it's a it's an interesting fact, though, that um, in December of 1969 is when the uh, San Francisco Police Department 
not police, uh, firefighters switched over from uh, leather helmets to plastic helmets. And <laughs> I wanted to try and find some way to... Dude, to, even if you want interesting things that are happening in San Francisco in December of 1969, fucking Native American activists seizing Alcatraz. Oh, that's a better one. Yeah, and it's surrounded by water. Incidentally, not what Aqualad was up to right then. Yeah, I feel like I missed the boat on, on that despite his interest in plastics. What do you think Aqualad was up to? Well, I don't think he had a particular interest in plastics. Um, I think that he was hanging out with Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. Uh, Dennis Wilson had recently uh, stopped. He, he had some free time on his hands because he is no longer hanging out with Charles Manson at this point. Thank and God. is probably a little disillusioned. And Dennis Wilson, a lot of people don't know this, he was the only one of the Beach Boys who could surf. That's Most of them couldn't. The he was the only one who can. They could all do that. No, no. They could all harmonize. He couldn't play his drums very well, but he could actually surf. And that is how he met Aqualad. And they started hanging out, and they formed a wonderful friendship. And that was later on. Uh, it wasn't released for a couple of years, but that was probably Dennis Wilson was about to drown, and Aqualad saved him. Dennis, well, Dennis Wilson was fucked up on drugs, and he did eventually drown. And I think probably was too reliant on having his friend Aqualad save his life all the time. Oh, shit. But I think that the friendship that Aqualad formed with, eventually, the other Beach Boys, particularly, he was close with Mike Love. A lot of people don't know that. But Aqualad and Mike Love were great friends. Mike Love gets a lot of shit. But uh, I think he really helped tie the, the Beach Boys... I think they needed the pop element that he brought to the group. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think that Brian Wilson was a very talented man, but I think he needed a counterbalance, and that was Mike Love. And uh, Aqualad inspired the song Cool, Cool Water by the Beach Boys, which features the lyrics... Uh, in an ocean or in a glass, cool water is such a blast. Which, a lot of people don't know this, that lyric was actually penned by Aqualad. Damn! And that, my friend, is what Aqualad was up to. Probably. That's probably what Aqualad was up to. I like the musical direction that this Aqualad it's not always. He's not always doing musical stuff. And he's certainly not always... There's theater and there's music. ...developing plastic fire helmets. Yeah, that was lame as shit. Sorry. <laughs> I was trying. No, I, I appreciate that you did a little bit of research. Another another fun thing that did happen in the issue, it wasn't in the issue proper, but in the letter columns, uh, one of the letters was from a guy named Klaus Jansen, who, when I read the letter, I was like, that sounds familiar. Is that? And it is. It's the guy who did all of the inking for the, the Dark Knight Returns, the Frank Miller series. Oh, so like when he and, was a kid, he wrote in? Yeah, when he was a kid, he wrote in to his 18 or 19. He wrote in to Teen Titans, and what struck me about the fan letter is, it was a fan letter to the editor, Dick Giordano. And Dick Giordano is a very talented man. He's a good editor, but he's one of my favorite uh, inkers, certainly. Mm. Uh, and he was also a very good penciler, I think, uh, an underutilized one. I talked with Nicholas a little bit about that last week. The letter is super kiss-assy. It's like, how do you do it? How do you do such a good job editing Dick Giordano? And then goes on to say nice things about the Teen Titans, but I'm like, wow, that is super ass-kissy. Within a few months of that... Klaus Jansen started working for Dick Giordano wow. as an assistant editor, and that was kind of his entree into comic books. And wow, he went curious. on to become a very, very uh, good inker, a very prolific inker, and did some pencils too, but was uh, hmm. probably best known probably best known for inking the Dark Knight hmm. Returns for Frank Miller. Well, how do you do? He did a very good job. <laughs> I should read those letters. Yeah, they're good. Hmm. Some of them. Yeah. A lot of them not so good, mm -hmm. but it, it's, it, there, there's a turning point here where it's, we're about to hit the seventies and I think the attitude towards the comic books, both from the creators and from the, the readership 
it's starting to be an older crowd that's reading them. Mm. And the editors are starting to realize that and are aiming for an older crowd Mm. with the comic books. Bronze Age is great in part because it's the first generation of writers that grew up reading comic books and Mm. are not planning on going and doing something else. Mm -hmm. It's also a weird period of time in part because the average age for a writer of comics during the Bronze Age was like mid-20s, early Mm. 20s. The average age of an artist was like 60 because it's still the same artists from the Golden Age, by oh. and large, or a lot of them. Oh, oh shit. There are a couple of, like, hot shit young guys that are coming mm. up. But a lot of them are like, you know, Kirby is still number one at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a Golden Age artist, and a lot of the artists really cut their teeth during the Golden Age. Mm. Anyway, if you want to hear me talk more about that stuff, I do have another podcast called Traveling Through the Bronze Age. We haven't put out a new episode in a while, but... I think we are going to start doing some new ones soon. And during the month of February, I'm going to try doing this thing. I've got a pretty good comic book collection. And the focus of it, at least fairly recently, has been uh, first appearances of black superheroes. And I think I have almost enough to do one for every day of February. Mm. So I'm going to do just some quick synopsis. And it'll be under the Traveling Through the Bronze Age podcast feed. I'm going to try to do one every day for February. So you can check that out. I recommend it. I listen to a lot of the Traveling Through the Bronze Age, and uh, it's fun shit, and uh, definitely a, a lot of good ROM Space Knight stuff. Yeah, we talk about ROM the Space Knight a lot. Brought me some happy feelings from when I was a kid reading that. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. Thanks, Corey. The other thing I wanted to plug is, uh, it's not going to be out just yet, but my friend Ellen and I started recording a podcast about basketball the other day, and it's really fun. I don't know if you have any interest in that. Ellen's great. She's a lot of fun to talk to. I don't know if the Venn diagram of people who are into Teen Titans comic books and basketball has as much of an overlap as I think it does. (laughs) Probably not a ton. But if you are interested in that, it's called Both Teams Played Hard. And I'll let you know when I start putting up episodes of that. But it'll probably be pretty soon. We've recorded a couple now. Anything you want to plug, Corey? Nope. Okay. Last week, uh, if you listen, we were joined by Nicholas Prom, who was great. He has a podcast called Comic Reflections that you should definitely check out. I know we plugged it last week, but do yourself a favor and, uh, yeah, check that stuff out. He knows more about comic books than I do. And I know some shit about comic books. So, I get to live another hour. Peace and farewell. <laughs> and they knew it.